0: Good morning, great to be with you. And thanks so much for helping out today, Ada.
1: Thank you for inviting me to share some input on today's passage.
0: It's a difficult passage, and I thought it, it would help to do things a little bit differently today. Ada is in second year at Bible College, and she's a student minister with us. She's going to read the passage, and then we're going to discuss together what it means and how it applies to us today. Thanks, Ada. Our
1: Bible reading this morning is from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and we'll be reading from verse 1 through to verse 16. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. I praise you for remembering me in everything and for holding to the traditions just as I pass them on to you. But I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the woman is man and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonours her head. It is the same as having her head shaved. For if a woman does not cover her head, she might as well have her hair cut off. But if it is a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, then she, ought, she should cover her head. A man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God. But woman is the glory of man. For man did not come from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. It is for this reason that a woman ought to have authority over her own head because of the angels. Nevertheless, the Lord in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as woman came from man, so also man is born of woman. But everything comes from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not the very nature of things teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a disgrace to him? But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory? For long hair is given to her as a covering. If anyone wants to be contentious about this, we have no other practice, nor do the churches of God.
0: Thanks, Ada. That's a really difficult passage, don't you reckon? What do you find difficult in it?
1: Yeah, there's definitely things that I find difficulty in looking at this passage. Like, who is this passage addressing? Men and women generally, or is it husbands and wives, like some translations have? Then there's the question of, what does it mean for someone to be the head? And then there are questions around head coverings and about women and men, what are they to do in church? There's a lot of tricky bits and pieces in there. How about you, Stephen?
0: Yeah, I find those things tricky. I find it really hard to figure out what's going on exactly culturally there in Corinth. Mm -hmm. And I find this passage difficult because there are some real landmines for our culture today. Like gender is a pretty sensitive topic for us these days. And especially any hint of differences in in gender role. In a lot of ways, this, this passage collides head-on with Mm. some things that are almost sacred in our culture. Like in our culture, there's the idea idea that each of us should be completely free to individually express ourselves however we want. So the idea of being told that you should wear a head covering for the sake of someone else is, is likely to get us pretty hostile before we even get into the details.
1: Yeah, it could actually be really easy for us to miss the meaning of this passage entirely if we force our modern issues onto it. That's not to say that it doesn't have a lot to say for us today. But the danger is that we'll miss what it has to say if we refuse to listen to what God was first saying to them back then.
0: Don't you reckon it's tempting just to jump over passages like this? Mm -hmm. You know, we could just jump straight to 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. Mm -hmm. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. Don't you reckon that sounds so much nicer?
1: It certainly would be easy for us to just skip over this. But actually, this passage is just as much about love as any other. It is very much about love that's patient and kind, love that doesn't envy or boast, love that doesn't dishonor others, and it is not self-seeking. And we already start to see some of this language through today's passage. Paul uses words like dishonor and disgrace to challenge what's happening in the church.
0: I absolutely agree, of course. It's tempting to think of the Parts of the Bible that are like this, that they're too hard or too confusing. It's even tempting to think that this part of the Bible is too embarrassing or somehow no longer relevant. But that's not true. All scripture is God's word. And the Holy Spirit still speaks to us today through this passage. So our job is to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit, not to listen to the voice of our culture, and not even to simply listen to the most conservative, traditional voice as if that's the most correct now, just before we get into the details, what do you reckon's going on in the big picture, Ada?
1: Well, we need to keep in mind that we've already seen in 1 Corinthians that Paul has been talking about using our Christian freedoms for the good of others in chapter ten twenty three, And he's been talking about doing everything we do for God's glory in chapter 10, verse 31. And these are still some of the guiding principles that we should keep in mind as Paul starts to talk about what it means for church. In this section, Paul gets specific here and addresses a concern over whether men and women should pray or prophesy while covering their heads. And this overall message is clear. He says that women are not free to get rid of the head covering when they pray or prophesy, when they bring a message of encouragement from God to the church.
0: Now I've got to admit, I find it hard to understand what the problem is here.
1: Mm.
0: And this is where we need to pay close attention to the passage and also to the difference between our culture and their culture back then. In their culture, head coverings, they communicated a lot. They communicated that you were married and not interested in being unfaithful to that. Your only interest was to be honourable and faithful and in no way were you open to bringing shame on yourself or your family.
1: So to not wear a head covering in public context would mean the equivalent of a married woman taking her wedding ring off while having a night out with her friends in public. That's kind of the cultural message that's sent.
0: And taking off your wedding ring like that is kind of seedy, isn't it? Mm. But it seems a bit strange that there'd be women in church thinking, I'm going to pray now, so I might just slip off my wedding ring to look available. Why on earth would they be doing something like that? You know, something that's the equivalent of that.
1: Mm. We're, We're not really told here or anywhere else in the letter exactly why they've chosen not to cover their heads. Different people have come up with all sorts of creative possibilities, but there isn't enough in the text for us to know for sure. It could be just that, Uh, This was a church that was going too far with the new freedoms and and misunderstanding them. It could be just that because church was in their homes and because they considered one another brothers and sisters in Christ like family, it could be just that they were getting a bit too relaxed around these cultural signs of faithfulness to marriage.
0: And so what we're seeing here is that Paul is saying demonstrating faithfulness in marriage, communicating this culturally is actually very important. We're not free to communicate that we're not that serious about marriage. And what we do in church shouldn't draw attention and glory to ourselves, but it should focus people on God. So that's the big picture, which makes sense. But there are a lot of details that are pretty hard in this passage. So let's have a look at the details now and what they mean for us today.
1: Yeah, so Paul gives us six reasons why women should cover their heads when they pray or prophesy in church. We see the first reason in verses 3 to 6. Look at verse 3. Paul says, "But I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the woman is man and the head of Christ is God."
0: So the first and overarching reason that Paul gives has got to do with headship. Now this is a pretty unpopular idea in our culture, but before we read into this modern issues, let's try and see what Paul is saying. Notice, first of all, who has someone as their head in this passage? It's not just women.
1: That's right. Um, The man has Christ as his head, and even Christ has God as his head. And Paul says the woman has man as her head.
0: At first, we could jump to thinking that Paul is saying that women are not equal to to men. Is that what's going on here, do you reckon, Ada? Uh,
1: It can't be, because Paul says that the head of Christ is God. And there's no way that Paul would say that Christ is less than God. In other parts of the Bible, like Colossians chapter two, verse nine, Paul says, In Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Christ is fully equal with the Father, and yet still the Father is Christ's head. They are equal, and yet they like take different roles in the relationship.
0: And notice here that Paul isn't really interested in establishing a strong hierarchy or chain of command. So he's not saying God commands Christ. Christ commands men, men command women. The order is wrong. It's all wrong for that. What Paul is interested in, is not so much a way of relating to each other that's about authority and obedience, but a way of relating that leads to honour and not to disgrace. Honouring the marriage relationship and honouring Christ.
1: And we see this throughout the passage, like in the next verse, verse 4. Paul writes, Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonours his head. His head here is Christ." But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonours her head. Her head here is her husband. It is the same as having her head shaved, for if a woman does not cover her head, she might as well have her hair cut off. But if it is a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut off, or her head shaved, then she should cover her head. Stephen, do you reckon that men are really tempted to try and make themselves look like women by covering their heads?
0: I don't think so. I don't think this passage is about people blending gender boundaries, men dressing like women, women dressing like men. Mm. There's no evidence of that, really, I don't think. What Paul is probably doing is establishing, establishing common ground where they agree. And he's not just saying, hey, blokes shouldn't wear you know, dresses to church like women. Paul is probably referring to a Roman practice of men praying to pagan gods with their, their heads covered. And you can actually see a statue that they've dug up from Corinth of Augustus, where he's portrayed as a model Roman citizen offering a sacrifice with his head covered. Paul is saying that men dishonor Christ their head by praying in a way that copies pagan practices. Mm -hmm. And then from that common ground, he goes on to talk about what he clearly considers to be the real issue here, women praying and prophesying with their heads uncovered.
1: He says that if a woman is happy to do that, that she should be happy to also have her head shaved, which back then was a disgrace. In their culture, it was a way of saying that a woman had committed adultery. So Paul is saying, if you really don't care that you're communicating a lack of interest in being faithful to your husband, then you shouldn't care about presenting yourself as an adulterer.
0: So Ada, do you reckon Paul is just saying here in this passage keep your culture happy, you know, don't rock the boat. This is not really that big a deal, but, you know, the Corinthians, they they think you Christians are weird enough as it is, so don't cross the cultural barriers by, by ditching the head covers. Is that what he's saying?
1: No, I think it's more than that, because Paul gives six reasons that they should be concerned about this issue, and not once does he say that they shouldn't do it, just to blend into their culture. What Paul is really saying to them is, Don't dishonor your husband. Paul says it's about honoring something God has built into the world right from the very beginning.
0: Okay, so this actually brings us to the next reason Mm. Paul gives for wearing head coverings, which we see in verse 7. Paul writes, A man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. For man did not come from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. Now, again, we're likely to want to jump to reading this with modern ways of understanding things and react pretty badly to this. Ada, is Paul saying here that women are not actually created in God's image?
1: Oh, no, not at all. That would run against everything that the Bible says. What Paul is interested in here is that he's talking about honor and disgrace. These verses here take us back to Genesis 1 and 2. Paul is talking about the first husband and wife. Adam and
0: Eve. Now in Genesis 1, the high point of creation is the creation of man. What shows God's glory most in creation is the creation of people in God's image. Mm -hmm. In Genesis 2, it retells the creation of humanity and it gives more details and it shows that it's in two parts. Mm -hmm. So the creation of the man happens first, but there's a high point even beyond that because we read it's not good for the man to be alone. Mm -hmm. Creation is incomplete and inadequate with just man alone. And so the creation of woman out of man is the final high point of creation.
1: And what we see at the end of Genesis 2 is the man glorying in his wife. So in that sense, woman is the glory of man. There's a Jewish tombstone they dug up in Rome that kind of captures this idea. It says, Lucilla, the blessed glory of Sephorius.
0: Paul doesn't mean woman is the glory of man in a derogatory way. He doesn't mean that she's like a trophy He's not saying she is in any sense made for man as his plaything or servant. She is made in a way that corresponds to him so that together they can rule the world just like God commands them to.
1: A commentator, Craig Keener, summarizes Paul's point well. He writes, In short, Paul says because woman was taken from man, she reflects man's image, and therefore she ought to cover that image in worship lest it distract observers from attention to God's image.
0: And that's the idea behind what we see in verse 10. Paul writes, It is for this reason that a woman ought to have authority over her own head because of the angels. Now, we'll get to angels in a second. But essentially what Paul is saying here is that a woman takes authority over her own head when she takes the step of removing the distraction of praying or prophesying with her head uncovered
1: saying that for a woman to pray or prophesy with her head uncovered in their culture puts focus on her glory her image rather than God's glory and God's image and the clear cultural message she's sending is that she's open to being desired she's not completely dedicated to her husband
0: and so not only does this risk distracting people from from God but it also dishonors her husband her head okay Ada's now going to explain what this has got to do with angels. Thanks, Ada.
1: Uh, Thanks a lot, Stephen. Um, Angels seems a little bit random, and it's hard to know for sure what Paul means here. But people worshipping God in purity and living at peace with one another, that brings him glory. And there's this idea in the New Testament that the whole universe is watching on, looking at what God is doing in the church. And a woman seeking God's glory and seeking to honour her marriage with her husband. That might seem small to us, but in God's eyes, that really does bring him glory, even before um, the angels who are watching on.
0: Okay, so we've covered three of the six reasons why Paul says a woman should cover her head when praying and prophesying in church. Headship, creation, and angels. Now, the other three reasons Paul gives are the nature of things, tradition, and the universal practice of the churches. But Ada, I reckon rather than wrestle through each one of these in turn, what we should do with the time that we've got left is to talk about what this passage is saying to us today.
1: Yeah, and we should also talk about what this passage is not saying us today as well. So Stephen, um, do you think that this passage is saying that women should wear a head covering when praying and prophesying in church?
0: No, I don't think so.
1: Why is that?
0: Well, what we find in the Bible are principles in their application. Mm. The, the principles don't change, but mm. sometimes the application, they, it does change, actually. And our job is to carefully listen to exactly what God is saying to us in his word. Mm. And without listening carefully, this passage sounds like God just wants married women to wear a head covering when praying or prophesying in church. But to just copy that first century application in our time and in our culture, would actually be to go against some of the principles that were given here.
1: Can you explain that a little bit more?
0: Yeah. So if we just took from this passage that women should wear a head covering in church when praying or prophesying, strangely, we would actually be breaking part of the underlying principle that we see in this passage. Because part of the problem for them with not wearing a head covering is it's so unusual culturally that it's a major distraction in their worship service but it'd be the opposite for us in our culture. A woman wearing a head covering would make it very hard for us to focus on God. We'd be so distracted. She would actually end up drawing our attention to her appearance and away from God. And and that's exactly what this passage says we should be avoiding. The head covering, it, it just doesn't send the same message culturally for us. No clothing for us sends the message in our culture that a woman is happily married and not open to being unfaithful.
1: But someone could dress in a way that signalled in our culture that they wanted to be desired, couldn't they?
0: Yeah, I reckon they could.
1: And if a married woman were to pray or prophesy dressed in a way that drew attention to her and in our culture says, desire me, focus on my glory, she would be dishonouring God and her husband.
0: That's right. Church is about God's glory, not ours. And there's also another principle here, which which is a bit more tricky. The other principle is don't dishonor your husband as your head. In this passage, it means a married woman should be careful not to present herself as desirable and open to being unfaithful to her marriage. But headship in marriage is a principle that means a lot more than this. But the thing is, Paul doesn't really give us any details of what this means in practice here, other than for them wearing a head covering. And we have to look to passages like Ephesians 5 to see more of the details for what this means.
1: But this is where it's really important to see what Paul is not saying. Paul is not saying that women are less valuable than men. It is very clear that men and women are equal in their worth in God's eyes. And unlike some forms of feminism or male chauvinism, men and women are not only equal, they are interdependent. We need each other. There is supposed to be dignity and respect in honouring one another. But Paul is saying there's an order in the marriage relationship. The man is supposed to be the head.
0: And being the head is all about husbands leading sacrificially. What this is not saying is that men should exercise control over their wives. Now, let me be crystal clear. Any form of control, whether physical or emotional or spiritual or economical, That is a husband profoundly dishonoring his head, Jesus. It's a husband dragging the name of Jesus through the mud. We see in our culture today that it's all too common for men to try and control women. That's not headship. That's sin. If you claim to follow Jesus and you're doing that, it's you dishonoring Christ, your head. And if that's you, if you're prone to wanting to control your wife, stop it. Get help. Don't think it's okay. It's never okay.
1: If then that's not what headship looks like, then what should it look like?
0: It, It looks like a man loving his wife and taking the lead to lay down his life for her, lay down his needs for what she needs. It's got far more to do with taking the lead and encouraging his family spiritually. And sadly, too many of us men are inclined to shirk our responsibilities we leave reading the Bible to our kids, to our wives. We leave praying to our wives. Sometimes it's like we treat spiritual things as our wives' responsibility only. But actually, headship is about men stepping up in these kind of ways. Gently, sacrificially leading in living for God.
1: It's good that we've been able to start talking about this, but we really don't have time to go into much more detail now. Um, Stephen and I are going to have a Q&A about this after church, in place of our Zoom morning tea. uh, For the first 10 minutes or so, we'll answer some of the questions that you might have about this.
0: And for all the confusing things in this passage, don't miss what God's heart is for his people. Paul writes this letter to a world which was actually repressive. It was a world that really did value men more than women. But Paul shows here that that's not at all what God's vision is for his church. God wants a community where men And women value each other and are sharing in prayer and prophesying alongside each other. But God wants this to happen in a way that brings glory to him and which honors the relationships that he's put us in and the way he's created those relationships to operate. So we should absolutely make sure we are a church that encourages both men and women to be using their gifts and to do it in a way that brings God glory.